All righty. <sighs> so, um, I'm kicking off just a, a, a new three-week series that we're going to do for these next three Sundays. And uh, we're going to be thinking this morning about the one choice that you can make in life that will bring the best possible consequence to the whole of your life. The one choice. If you get this one choice right, then everything can change in your life. Because we all know, don't we, that choices have consequences. Just nudge someone and just tell them, choices have consequences. We, we know that, don't we? Choices have consequences. We know that you, you reap what you sow. It's true in every single part of life. Choices have consequences. I know this to be true. Like I know that if I eat an entire tub of Haagen-Dazs Belgian chocolate ice cream all in one sitting, I know I'll start to feel a bit sick. Like I know this. I have proven it many times over to be sure. I know this is true. I, I, like some of you know, I do a lot of traveling, speaking in other churches. And, and, and I know if I arrive in a service station and I avoid the law of Marks and Spencers with its cucumber and choose tuna sandwiches, and I turn to the colonel with his fluffy white beard and his beautiful chicken that heralds all the way from Kentucky, and if I, if I go there often, I know that I will put on weight. I know this. I have proven it many times. Like I, I know if I go into Woburn Safari Park, and if I enter into the, the monkey enclosure and I ignore the signs that say monkeys may well damage your car, I, I know if I go in that place ignoring those signs, I know it's going to end up very expensive for my car. I know I'm going to be humiliated as I drive around the rest of the park with bits hanging off my car. I know this. This has been my experience. Choices have consequences. It's true in the whole of life, and it's true with God as well. And we're going to be looking at an if and a then that God speaks about. Perhaps a really important, the most important if and then that God says in the Bible. And it comes from a verse in the Old Testament uh, from a book called Second Chronicles. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And uh, God is speaking to the third king of Israel, uh, a guy called Solomon. And, and God gives his own choices and consequences, his own if and then statement. And this is it. God says to the king Solomon, he says, If, if my people who were called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And in that short verse, God basically says there are four ifs and there are three thens. So the first if is, uh, if my people, so God is saying, like, if you remember who you are, first of all, if you remember who you are, that you're my people, that I created you, that I know you, that I love you, that I'm for you, that I'm with you, that you are my beloved child. If you remember who you are, the first if. Secondly, if you remember who I am, who are called by my name. Like God's saying, remember, I'm the God who rescues you. I'm the God who saves you. I'm the God who restores you. I'm the God who heals you. I'm the God who forgives you. I'm the God who renews and refreshes you. I'm the God who resurrects your life. If you remember who you are and if you remember who I am. And then thirdly, he says, if you passionately pursue me. 
If you would humble yourself and seek my face and pray. If you would admit to yourself that you are not clever enough, not smart enough, not perfect enough to save yourself. If you're willing to humble yourself and realize that only God alone, the God who loves you and created you and the God who wants to rescue you can save you. And if you passionately pray, and if you relentlessly pursue him, and if you sincerely surrender, if if you put me first in all things and in all ways, if you become a God chaser and a pursuer of God, that's the, the third if. And then he says, and if you would relentlessly reject sin, turn from your wicked ways, your sinful ways. Remember this, this word sin, it doesn't mean doing naughty things. Sin means that we have rejected God as our life giver, our source of life, and we have refused to live the life that he created us to live. God is saying, if you remember who you are in me, remember who I am, and out of that, passionately and relentlessly pursue me, put me first, humble yourself, put me first, and turn from the ways that will destroy you and bring darkness and death to your life. If you do those things, God says, then he says three things. He says, firstly, I will hear. This word in the original Hebrew literally means to hear with the intention of acting upon. That's what it means. Like, you know, sometimes when you're kind of, someone's talking to you and, and you say you're listening, but you're not really listening. But, but in here, God is saying, no, I, I, I will listen to you with the intention of acting upon. And so he says, what action will he take? Secondly, he says, I will. The then is, I will forgive your failures. I will wipe the slate clean. I will give you a brand new start. And then thirdly, he says, I will bring healing and wholeness into your life. Choices have consequences. If this, God is saying, then this. Now let me be clear for a second. What God is not saying in this is if you perfectly do these four things, then God will do everything you want, just like some tick box. It doesn't work like that. Like sometimes we pray for something and God does answer, but in a different way because he knows what is best. And more importantly than that, there's no one in this room, including me, who can perfectly do those four things. We are broken. We mess up. We make mistakes. We doubt. We wrestle. We battle. None of us are perfect, and God knows that. This is not some magic formula, but the point that God is saying is, if you pursue me, if you lean into me, if you push towards me, if you endeavor every day to surrender and put me first and, 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 and turn from the ways that are destructive to you, if you do those things, it is impossible for you not to experience more of heaven. Because choices have consequences. What you sow, you reap. If you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. And if you invest in these areas, God is saying, then it is impossible for more healing and from heaven and wholeness and forgiveness not to break out over your life. Is everyone hearing me today? It's impossible. God is saying, that if you do this, then this will happen. Essentially what God is saying in this verse is there is more for you. There is more for you. First and foremost, there is more of God to embrace. More of who God is, his very personhood and his very presence. And there is more of God to experience in terms of his power and his promises and his peace. Like, Is anyone in this house longing to experience more of the power of God in their life? Anyone? 
Like anyone here feeling completely at peace? Is there anyone here who longs for more of the peace of God over their lives? Is there anyone here who's longing for the things that God has promised to be your reality, your real reality? Of course, we all want these things. There is more. And this phrase, there is more, is going to become our Zio theme for 2020. 2019 has been our theme. And what's our theme for 2019 been? Every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. And we're still praying and we're still believing and we're still going to be pressing in for that until Jesus comes. But as we got to the end of this year and as we've been praying about what God has been saying to us, we, we sense that what God is saying is if you want to see those giants fall, then there is more of the presence and the power and the promises and the peace and the personhood of God to push into and understand. Because the closer we get to God, the more we draw closer to Him in intimacy, the more we experience His presence, then the more the giants are going to fall. There is more of God, more powerful moments with God, more powerful movements of God. And, and, and my singular task this morning, all I want to do simply is, as we launch this simple three weeks, if, is, is what I'm praying what God will do ultimately is that he will increase your hunger and your passion for the presence of God. Simply that, your hunger and your passion For the presence of God. That we will leave this room wanting to be God chasers. Wanting to be men and women who pursue God. And get to the place say, God, if nothing else, give me you. If nothing else, give me you. That we would be like the psalmist who writes this song in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul pants for you. My thirst for you, God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That we would be that kind of people. As the deer pants for the water, so we long for you. We long for you. I wonder if you are longing for God. I wonder if your, your life is, is characterized by someone who is longing for God in the everyday moments of the day. I think the challenge is for most of us, if we're honest, we're just so busy. Like we're living life a hundred miles an hour. Our lives are full. People often come up to me. People have said it numerous times, even this week. Matt, I know you're very busy. And I always say to them, everyone is busy. I'm not busier than anyone else. I don't know many people in the world who are twiddling their thumbs, wondering what to do. Everybody is busy. But are we busy doing the right things? Like We'll make time for work. We'll make time for friendship. We'll make time to go to the gym. We'll make time to go for coffee with people. We'll make time for friends. We'll make time for Netflix binges. We'll, we'll make time for loads and loads of things. But if we're honest, many of us simply don't have time for God. Like He is etched out of our lives. We, we don't have time for Him. And the risk is like we can come on a Sunday and we can serve in ministry. We can, we can work for God. But the risk is that our work for God will kill the work of God in our lives. Did anyone just hear what I said? That our work for God, our serving, my preaching, your leading, your being on the host team, the things you do for God become a substitute for the very work of God in your life. God is much more interested in what he's doing in you than before what he's doing through you. He's a God who is more passionate about your intimacy with him versus your activity for him. Can anyone hear what I'm saying today? Like He wants to know you. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. He's looking more than anything else for, for not great preachers but great pursuers. 
For, for people who, more than anything else, are looking for the presence of God, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, rather than the presence of God, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. What do you want more? Do you want the presence of God, the, the gifts of God, or do you want God himself? God says in this, like, seek my face, seek me, not my hands. Seek my face, that you will be a people who are hungering for his presence. Because he says, if we are people who are hungering for his presence, longing for his presence, then all heaven can break out because choices have consequences. Time and time again, the scripture tells us this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. God says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. We're all familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, but how, mu- how much do you know 12 and 13? 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But 11 and 12 says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 7, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. All of these verses, God is saying, there is more. There is more. Some of us are satisfied with our spiritual lives. And Jesus is coming here today to say, there is so much more of the presence of God and the person of God and the power and the promises and the peace of God in your life. Do not settle. Pursue him. Moments with God and moments of God. There is more. And, and, and that's the wraparound story in Second Chronicles. That's what's going on here. We see what happens if, if you uh, flip your Bible back a few pages. This whole story, King Solomon, this guy into which this verse that we read is told, he's king around 3,000 years ago. He's the son of Israel's most beloved king, David, the giant killer, the Goliath killer. And Solomon's story is told in the first nine chapters of Second Chronicles. And actually, the majority of those chapters tell the story of how he builds an incredible temple, the first ever temple for God in Jerusalem. Up to that time, all of the people have been worshipping and the priests have been ministering in what was called a tabernacle, a tent. You'll see a, a version of it on the screen. It looked like this. It was a big tent. And Solomon was given the charge to, to ditch the tent and build a magnificent temple for the Lord. And the temple that he ended up constructing took seven years to build. It cost in today's money hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds. And it was eight stories high, as you can see in this uh, version of it. And the results were truly incredible. I mean, this thing was unbelievable. People traveled all around the nations to see it. It was furnished with bronze and silver and gold. But the point of this majestic temple was not to point people to the temple, but was to point people to the God of the temple. That was the whole point of it. Like if the temple itself could speak, speak, speak. Can I have a glass of water? If the temple itself could speak, 
then the temple would be crying out to everyone, if you think I look good, then you should see the God who I've been built for because he is truly amazing. He is mind-boggling. He is ear-tingling. He is, he is incredible. He is breathtaking. He is eye-catching. He, he is so incredible, the God that I've been built for. Solomon knew that a glorious God needed a glorious temple. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll see in chapter 5 of Second Chronicles that when the temple was finished after seven years, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. How many people have seen the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones film? Remember, okay? And the whole story of that film is them trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. This, this thing that had the uh, two tablets which had the Ten Commandments that, that God wrote down for Moses. And the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God. And so as they finish the temple, they bring the Ark of the Covenant right into the very center, into a room in the temple that was called the most holiest of holies. They were making it abundantly clear that right in the very center of this, they wanted God to be. They wanted the presence of God and the power of God to be at the very center of the temple. And so they do that. And then we read in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5 that now there are hundreds and hundreds of priests with various musical instruments and they start to literally roar in worship because of this great moment. And they sing out this same line over and over again. They sing out, God is good. His love endures forever. God is good. His love endures forever. God is good. His love endures forever. God is good. God is good. Now, I know sometimes you, some of you guys you know, complain. Maybe we sing the same chorus too many times. Listen, you would have hated this moment. They were singing this for ages, this same line, because they meant it. Because they meant it. This moment, they meant it. And it was in this moment, nothing else mattered. They weren't worshipping the temple. They were worshipping the God of the temple. Their eyes were fixed on him. They were declaring, God, you are amazing. You've chosen us. You've picked us. Not because we're good, because you're good. You are not a God who is distant and disinterested. You are a God who is up close and personal. And as they worship God like this, something crazy happened. Something that they had never expected, never experienced. In the height of their celebration and, and, and their worship, the tangible presence of God broke into this moment. Then the temple, we read in verse 13 and 14, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This word for the glory of the Lord literally means the brilliant, unparalleled, majestic presence of God filled the temple in a place of praise because praise and worship are a magnet for heaven. Praise and worship are a magnet for heaven. Praise and thanksgiving are a magnet for heaven. And, and, and God's presence in this moment is tangible. They can literally see it. It's like a cloud. And it's also colossal. Think about, remember I said it's eight stories high. It says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Every single nook and cranny of this temple was full. And it was so powerful as, as we see in this scripture 
that the, the, the guys, they laid down their instruments and they could not play. They couldn't minister. They either fell on their knees and they fell on their faces. In fact, the, the Hebrew phrase that means they could not perform their service literally means they could not stand. Because the presence of God and the power of God was so tangible. It was like this moment when they were in a wow moment of worship. Wow, God, you're amazing. You're incredible. God is good. His love endures forever. In that wow moment, it suddenly becomes a woe moment because the atmosphere has changed over their lives because they suddenly realize God is in this place. God is in this place. I want to ask you today, is anyone longing for that today? Anyone, and I don't just mean when we gather, but in the everyday moments of your life, are you not longing for an awareness in your workplace when you're in that difficult meeting and you feel isolated and unknown? Would you not want to know in that moment, no, God is in this meeting room right now by his presence? In the everyday moments, in the, in the pubs, in the clubs, in the gyms, in the corridors, in the classroom, would you not long to know that God is here? I can sense the presence of God. God's at work in these moments. Do we not long for that? There is more. There is more. I've only had an experience like this. I was mentioning it at our monthly prayer gathering the last time we were together. Once in my life, where God showed up so powerfully that the people who were leading the meeting had to stop. It was an incredible moment. I was, it was probably about 15 years ago, and I was um, in Alabama at a big youth camp with about four or 500 young people. I was doing the, the morning Bible studies, and then there was a, an evening meeting uh, where there was kind of more of a, a good news preach about Jesus. And it was the last evening of the camp, and there was a guy called David, and he would speak every night. And uh, we were, we'd literally taken over a big sports hall, and so uh, we... The worship team were playing, and uh, as I said, about 400 young people gathered who were between probably 11 and, and 18, and the guys were leading this song called My Jesus, My Savior. How many of you remember that song, My Jesus, My Savior? Great song. So they started, they were leading this song, and I remember, like, here's the stage. I was standing at the side of the stage with some of the guys who were with me, and all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere, this, this, this girl, maybe 12, 13 years old, she, she just walks down to the front. No one asked her to. And she just closes her eyes and she just continues to worship. And, and literally it's just like this. And, and for a moment we looked at each other. We were just like, what, what is going on here? And it was almost like because praise and worship are a magnet for heaven. It was almost like in this moment God saw this woman, this young lass stepping out. That It was like the Holy Spirit went, yes, yes. And literally the next moment, I would say two-thirds of the young people, hundreds of the young people, just got out of their seats and started to fill the front, fill the aisles. They were crying and weeping and calling out to God. And then we were weeping because we were like, God, what are you doing? And then we spent the next half an hour or so uh, just going up to these young people and praying for them. And once we prayed for them, they didn't go back to their seats. They went to find their friends and they started to pray for them. And, 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 and still the guys an hour later were still singing, my Jesus, my Savior. The worship band was still singing, but no one could preach. No one could do anything. And then we did this prayer tunnel, and we had 400 young people going through this prayer tunnel. And it was crazy, and it was wild. All heaven was breaking loose. And I remember having this moment where I looked around, and, and all, everyone was being prayed for by someone else, and I was all by myself. Thanks, Harry. I'm always glad that Harry's here. Like he, Harry gets me. Okay, you know. Thanks, Harry. Can you come in the second service as well? That would be great if you could do that. I need you. 
And so, so literally, I, I, I closed my eyes. This is absolutely true. And I closed my eyes and I said, God, I would really love it if someone would just come and pray for me now. I opened my eyes and there was a girl standing in front of me, maybe 14 years old, literally in front of me. And she just said, sir, because they're very respectful in America. Uh, sir, she said, would you mind if I pray for you right now? And I was just like, that was quick. That was like... <laughs> That is impressive. And so she prayed. And I could hardly, because of the noise and the worship and the clamor, I could hardly hear anything that she said. And I closed my eyes. And then about, I said she was finished. I opened my eyes. And she was lost in the crowd. And I was just like, oh, I so wanted to say to her that like, I had prayed this prayer. And she had responded. And now I'm not going to see her. God, I would love to see her again. And, and, and then I had this incredibly insecure moment where I suddenly thought, God, I've traveled thousands of miles to be here, and I've done all these Bible studies. What if I was naff? Like, what if, what, what if you didn't use me? And I closed my eyes and said, God, I, just, I know this is insecurity, and I shouldn't need it, but I would be so grateful just to receive some encouragement from heaven in this moment. And I opened my eyes, and this is absolutely true, friends, and there's a, there's a boy standing in front of me, right in front of me, like there. And he just looked at me, he says, Sir, because they're very respectful in America. Not like you. And uh, please actually do not call me sir from now on. Please don't. Just, and I know some of you will just to be funny. All right. And may God have mercy on your soul. So he says, sir, he said, I just want to tell you that you have really blessed us, that you have spoken to us and we're so glad you came. And I was just like, you are good. You are good. And I remember the guy who was the leader of that, he came to pray for me. And it's the, it's the only time in my life where I felt the power of God hit me like a freight train and yet it didn't hurt. And I just went down like a rock. Like he, he literally had his hand on his shoulder. He was praying in tongues over me and I was just like, bam! And, and, and I was conscious and stuff. But I remember lying on the floor with my arms in the air and just speaking in tongues and feeling such the power of God over my life. And then at about 10 o'clock that night, it went on for nearly three hours, this. David never, ever got to speak. 10 o'clock, we all headed to the swimming pool that they had on this big campsite. And we baptized 65 young people in the pool that night. And, and there were five of us who were in the water. And five young people would come at a time to be baptized. And guess who comes to me to be baptized? The girl who originally came to pray for me. And so as she arrived, I was able to say to her before I baptized her, I prayed this prayer, you felt the nudge of God, and you responded. Well done. And then I dunked her, and because I'm nice, I brought her back up again. I have never experienced the presence and power of God like that. Let me tell you, when you have that, it ruins you. Like, you know, we have had meetings in this church, you know, where it's been awesome, it's been great, or in the gathering where it's great, but I'm longing for that sense of freedom, that longing for that sense of boldness, when people are just saying, I don't care what the agenda is, God, would you come? God, would you come, and would you mess with us, and would you do something great? I'm hungry for that. Is anyone hungry for that today? The presence of God, because I want to say to you, there's more. There's more. There's so much more. But we become settled. Like the scripture tells us time and time again that God is love. And so in his perfect love. And so when you experience his presence, you experience love. When God is peace. And so in his presence, there's perfect peace. God is strong. And so in his presence, there's perfect strength. God is comfort. And so in his presence, there's perfect comfort. God is whole. And so in his presence, there's perfect healing. God is a God of hope. And so in his presence, there's perfect hope. God is forgiving. And so in his presence, there's 
perfect forgiveness. God is good. And so in his presence, there is perfect goodness. When you encounter the presence of God, you will be changed. It's impossible for those things not to happen. Is anyone longing for the presence of God today? Because like we were saying this morning in our, in our uh, 8.15 meeting, if the presence of God is not with us, if God is not with us in our own individual lives and, and, and in our gatherings in the church, seriously, friends, we just may as well quit. True? Like if God is not here with us on a Sunday, like I've got to be honest, I've got better things to do with my time than get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to be here at half past 7 and leave at half 1. I've got better things to do with my life if God is not here. Because otherwise, the best this is is just entertainment. The best this is is we're, we're doing all this host stuff, we're putting up banners, we're doing some music, a little word, and we all walk away and we say, oh, that was nice. But it does nothing because only in the presence of God can our lives be changed. But if God is here, if we are the kind of people who attract heaven, if, if when we arrive, like we are living and breathing in such a way that heaven wants to be with us, if then, if then, if we are seeking him and pursuing him and that we have this awareness, wow, God is in the house, then it's worth every sacrifice. I'll be here for 10 hours for that. Like there's no other place I want to be in the world than when we are gathered together on a Sunday. If God is work, working miraculously and demons are flying out of windows and mental health issues are being fixed and people who arrive with cancer are healed with cancer and people are getting saved all over the shop and, and, and people arrive without a job but before the service has ended they get an email that says they've got a job. If in the midst of this meeting a relationship is miraculously restored, if, if all heaven breaks loose, I would make any sacrifice for that because we need the presence of God. There is more. There is more. There is more. If God isn't with us in our serving, in our giving, if God isn't, we may as well give up. But if God is, is present and the impossible becomes possible, the normal becomes miraculous, the natural takes on supernatural, that's what we are longing for. It's what we are longing for, for God to be present with us. And over these next few weeks, band, if you want to just come up, over these next few weeks, these next two weeks, we're going to be thinking about, we're just going to keep pushing into this. We're going to keep pushing into this. There is more. We're going to keep unpacking this scripture. I'm going to be sharing with you what we believe God has told us to do next year in terms of praying and fasting. We're going to read the whole of the New Testament together throughout the, throughout the year. We're going to do that together. We've got other resources and ideas and things to bring so that together we can grow closer to God. If, 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 by the end of the year, the only thing we can say, which would be the best thing that we could say, is by the end of 2020, we know God more, we're more like him, we're experiencing his power and presence, because ultimately that will change everything. It will change everything. In the place where God's people declare, God, we celebrate you, God, we thank you, we love you, God, we welcome you. In that place where God is invited, where he's welcomed, he'll come. It's as simple as that. Where God is welcome, he'll come. Jesus says, Revelation 3.20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. Listen, God wants to be close to you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him, not just when we gather on Sundays, not even just in our groups, but in the everyday moments of your life. We're going to help you in these next three weeks to have encounters and connections with God every day, moments every day that you would be aware of the presence of God. Because if you keep pursuing Him and chasing after Him, then He promises 
If you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And if you find him, you'll find healing and peace and joy and forgiveness and comfort and everything your life is longing for. But will you seek him? Like, is he welcome? Because you can easily turn up on a Sunday even and you can go through all of the motions. You can sing songs at the screen. You can close your eyes in prayer. You can chat to someone. You can listen to phenomenally good preaching from some of the other preachers. You can do all of those things. But here's the truth. God can still not be welcome in you. He can still, you can do all of those things, but God's not welcome. Because the question is, are you turning up when we're together? And are you waking up every morning and saying, God, I welcome you. God, I surrender my life to you. God, I need you. Unless you, I can't do this thing called life by myself. God, would you come? God, I worship you. Is that your posture or is this your posture? What a beautiful name he is. What a beautiful name he is. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. Let me tell you, like, if that's your posture, then you're saying to God, you're not welcome. Like, have you ever tried to hug someone with their arms folded? I'm not, I'm not asking you to be big and woo-woo and jumpy up and down. I'm not asking you to do those things, but I am asking you. I'm imploring you because Jesus is imploring you. I stand at the door and knock. Am I welcome? Am I welcome? How would the atmosphere in this meeting change? How would the atmosphere in your groups change? How would the atmosphere over your very life change? If more than anything else you said, I pursue you. I long for you. There is more. There is more. There is more. I want to tap into that more. God, I surrender. I humble myself. I remember today that I'm your child. You love me. You have good things for me. And I remember who you are. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the fairest of 10,000, the bright and morning star. You are the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life. You are the bread of life. You are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. You are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah and you are the very lamb that was slain. You are the light of the world. You are the one who takes away all the sins of the world. You are the very savior of the world. And I need you. 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 Does anyone need him today? Let's stand and pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus.